Welcome everybody. In person, Zoom, Facebook to Spice of Life. Title for this evening is Unity Without Conformity. Is that a Torah concept? Is that not a Torah concept? What is the perspective that we should have to really define what proper unity is? Parshas Noach is obviously most well known for the flood. The flood that happened, the entire world was destroyed. That's most of the Parsha. And when we hear the word or the name Noach, that's automatically what we think of. But there's nine verses at the end of the Parsha. There are nine verses that describe an episode that happened, which is definitely very interesting. And that episode is, or the generation, is known as the Dor HaFlaga, the generation, where there was, it was unity, but the, the generation that rebelled, where they built the Tower of Babel. They built the Tower of Babel, and I wanted to, this evening, analyze to gain a deeper insight as to what exactly did they do wrong, what was the issue with what they did, and how we could learn a lesson and what the real true definition of unity is, and how if we don't, history repeats itself, where if we go back to here thousands and thousands of years ago, we will see that many civilizations tried to follow suit unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. Chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. Let's just read through the verses just to get a basic outline of the story. And then we'll begin to see. It says as follows. Everybody on earth had the same language, the same words. This is after the flood. And it says, as they migrated from the east, they came upon a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them hard. Bricks served them as a stone. And they had the mortar. I don't even know what that word is, but in the Torah, it's uh, the mortar that allowed them to put the bricks together to be able to build this tower. And they said, come, let us build a city, a tower with its top in the sky to make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered across the earth. So they wanted to build a tower. Torah doesn't say why they wanted to build a tower, but they wanted to build a tower. Then what happens, verse number five, God came down to see the city and to see the tower. That which people are, the people were building. God said, there's one language, there's one nation, they're one. Says God, if as one people with one language for all, this is how they have begun to act, then nothing that they may propose to do will be out of their reach. Meaning, when there's unity, when they're together, unstoppable. This is what God says. So God says, let us go down, Vinivla Sham Svasam, and confuse their speech. 
in order that the people don't listen to each other. Until the people don't listen to each other. So what happened? God ended up doing this. God scattered them all over the face of the earth. And that's why it's called Bavel. Bavel comes from the, to, Rashi says, the language of Babel. Meaning, no one understood. When a baby babbles, when, when there's that type language, you're looking at them like, what language are you speaking? And that's what everybody was. Nobody understood the other one's language. It became a place of complete confusion. And therefore, that's how it got its name. And everybody ended up dispersing. That's the story. So first, we have to dis figure out why they wanted to build this tower. Was there an issue with them wanting to build this tower? Second of all, what is this that God came down, right? If, if God's up in the heavens, you're telling me that God didn't see what was going on. God, God needed to come down to earth to see. Let's see uh, the city and the tower that these people are building. You, you couldn't see it up there, God? What, what is this that God came down? And then what exactly is this punishment, seemingly, of let's change their languages, if they're doing something wrong, then this seemingly is not a punishment. And if they're not doing anything wrong, then why the need to change their language? Why the need to change their language? Rashi tells us as follows. What was their intent? Why did they want to build this tower? Why did they want to build this tower? Rashi says as follows. They came together as one and said as follows. God's up there. We're down here. Let's build this tower so we can wage war against God. We're going to build it way up into the heavens where we're able to be into the, the realm where God is and we'll wage battle. That's what some of them felt. Others felt that they calculated that every 1,656 years, there's going to be a flood. So now they're at that point. So the world was destroyed, the last flood, now there's going to be another flood. Let us build a tower where we're going to be able to live up there, where when the flood comes, we'll be saved. That was another one of their explanations. That was some of the reasons. And the Gemara, if we look on page two, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, tracking Sanhedrin, the last chapter there is called Perak HaChelek, the Perak, the chapter of the portion. And it discusses who has their portion, who does not have their portion in the world to come, giving specific examples of different people. And one of the generations that's discussed, the Mishnah says, Dor HaFlaga Inlam Chelek This generation does not have a portion in the world to come. Does not have a portion. So the Gemara, the Talmud brings down this argument where some of them said, we're going to build a tower, we're going to go up there, strike the heavens with axes so the water will flow. So this explanation seemed rather interesting. In Israel, they, they laughed at this explanation. And they had a question. If their whole goal was to build a tower to get up there as high as possible, to throw the axes, to cause the water to come down, to wage war. And why are they building it in a valley? 
Why don't they climb up to Mount Everest and then start building the tower? Pick the highest point, pick a mountain, start building the tower there. You'll find a flatter part on top of a mountain. Go bring it up there and then you'll be able to get even higher. But if you start in the Grand Canyon, you're going to exert so much energy just to get to the top of the canyon. Why are you going into a valley to begin to build a tower? Therefore, the Talmud said, there's no way that was their intent. If they just wanted to get higher up there, then they did not do it in the best way. So rather, Rabbi Yirmiya, the son of Elazar, says as follows, that there were three groups, and Rashi was alluding to this, there were three groups. One said, let us build a tower and dwell there. Meaning, we're going to build a city up there, we're going to dwell Maybe because they felt that the flood was going to come again, and that's why. Another one said, let's go up there, and that's where we will worship idols. That was another group. And lastly, the other group said, we're going to wage war. So one was to live there, maybe to be safe. Another one was to worship idols. The third group was, we're taking on God. We're going to wage war against God. Because of this, God ended up dispersing them. And the different groups had different punishment. The Gemara, the Talmud, ends up telling us here, Reb Nassim says that all of these groups had really one goal in mind, and that was to worship idols. Their goal was to worship idols. That's what they wanted to do. Then the Gemara ends up describing what ended up happening to the tower. Interestingly enough, I saw National Geographic a number of years ago where Bavel, Babylon, is around modern-day Iran. Iran, Iraq, somewhere, somewhere in that region. And somewhere around there, they found the outlines of a huge base of some kind of building that was once there. So in that same region, the outline of a huge base, got me the power of Bavel, of Babylon. Nevertheless, there were different reasons as to why they wanted to build this tower. So, okay, we have a little bit more of the background as to exactly what was going on over here. But before we get into a little bit more in depth of what really was going on, I wanted to preface as follows. Nachmanides, the Ramban, tells us in his introduction to the commentary on Chumash, beginning with the book of Bereshit's Genesis, he says that there are so many things for sure in the beginning with creation, the sin of Adam and Eve, the flood, and he mentions here the Dor HaFlaga as well. This generation that waged war or wanted to wage war against God, wanted to build this tower above him. He says as an introduction that there are layers and layers of depth, of, of, of secrets, of, of so much more there than what meets the eye. That whatever the commentaries are bringing down are just really scratching the surface. To understand creation, we're not going to. To understand the flood and everything that happened, how it happened, we're not going to. And this, he puts in as well, the Dor HaFlaga, this generation, we're also not going to fully understand. But the commentaries are there to be able to give a little bit of a glimpse with their understanding. And if you read the beginning of their commentaries, they say that we don't fully understand everything, but there needs to be some explanation. So God should help us in explaining. But don't think that 
When we have the explanation, we know 100% this is what happened. This is what's going on. It's just scratching the surface because these stories, so many questions, so many layers, so much depth there. So if we look on page three, the source is as follows, and there's a lot here from this source. But again, we have a few questions. So we understand now, yes, the Talmud tells us that they all intended to serve idols. That's why they wanted to build this tower above them. So maybe we could begin to understand, okay, maybe that's why God punished them, but, but they didn't worship idols yet. God stopped them beforehand, right? So why were they being punished? Again, that's the question. And the Ron, who was a Rishon, lived a little bit after Rashi, similar time, a little bit after Nachmanides as well. But he asks, he has a commentary on the Talmud, and he has what is known as the Drushos Haran, the, the, the speeches, the, the works of the Ran. The Ran is an acronym for Rabbeinu Nisim. His name was Nisim. And he asks as follows. He says, and here's how he puts it again, just to put into the perspective. The, the, the matter regarding this generation that sinned, and their punishment, that the commentaries left us in the dark. It's, 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 it's as if we're, we're blind, meaning in fully understanding what is going on over here. He says, because what did these people do wrong? What was their sin? So yeah, the Talmud says they had intent to worship idols, but they didn't worship idols yet. They didn't do anything actually wrong, so they started building the tower. But they didn't worship idols. So you can't punish them for something they didn't do. So now we're back to square one. What in the world was their problem? Why did God have to come down? Let's see what's going on. You couldn't, you couldn't see up there? And then again, this punishment of dispersing them, changing all the languages where they couldn't understand each other. But the Ron asks a little bit deeper. Not only what did they do wrong, but in fact, the way that they were acting was a tremendous positive. He says, If one wants to be like one person with their friends, there should be great reward for that person or for that group to have such unity, to be on the same page where we're doing everything together. That's something that we speak about. That's something that we want. The Torah was given to the Jewish people. It's described as Rashi says, like one man with one heart. What do you mean? There were like two million people there. But the unity that was attained at that point in time was such, it was like one person. That's the ultimate. So not only what did they do wrong, but they reached a level of unity. Whereas the Talmud tells us that God said they could accomplish anything. That's something great. That's something that we aspire to. What in the world? where he quotes the Medrash that says, and this would dispel the Talmud as well. We see many different verses that say as follows, even those who are actually worshiping idols, 
As long as there is peace between them, a midas hadin mesucha kenegdam, the God's trait of judgment cannot come near them. So as long as there's peace, so the Quran says, I don't understand what in the world did they do wrong. Why are they being punished? Why is it that the Talmud tells us that this generation has no portion in the world to come? What was so bad? And the Ron says an explanation. And the Nitziv, which we have on the last page, the Nitziv, Rabbi Naftali Tzuyuda Berlin, the great Roshiva of the Velazhin Yeshiva has a commentary on Chumash and he explains a little similar. He adds in a few little extra things which we'll bring down as well. And with this explanation, not only do we understand the true definition of unity, but we understand and we can compare to civilizations throughout our history as to why they failed or as to why people didn't want to be a part of that civilization. Why God felt the need to disperse them. The round says as follows. He says, He ain't Suffolk. There is no doubt that at this time, everyone in the world Everybody in this group, the entire world, they wanted to worship idols. Avraham, who was around at this time, Avraham was known as the Ivri. Ivri doesn't mean Jew. Ivri means the other side. Because everybody wanted to worship idols. Everybody believed in many different gods. Avraham was the one who was on the other side. He was teaching monotheism. He was teaching there's only one God. So he was known as the Ivri. But everybody else, they all wanted to worship idols. And the Ron says as follows. The Ron says that because everybody wanted to do this, there was one person, Avram, who did not want to do it. But... Everybody else wanted to. Why is that important? The leader of this group was Nimrod. Nimrod, the person who threw Avram into the Kibshon Aish, into the furnace, because Avram did not want to worship the idols. He didn't want to denounce, let's say, Nimrod as a ruler. He didn't want to, sorry, he didn't want to announce. He didn't want to say that Nimrod is a little. He didn't want to say that there are other gods. So he was thrown into the fire, which fits into everything that we're about to explain. Says the Ron that everybody agreed here, that they all agreed that there should be one ruler, one leader. There should not be any differences in the leadership. There should not be Oh, there's a mayor here, there's a mayor there. There's a this there, there's a that there. There's this state, there's that state. And they're each governed separately. There is one leader, one ruler. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. That's why he says 
They wanted to build a tower that would reach the heavens. Not to actually fight against God. But they wanted to be as follows. If they wanted to have a ruler down here. If they wanted to have someone that is in charge of everybody. And not only in charge, but his attitude, his mentality, his thought process. That became the prevailing mentality. Everybody should follow. Everyone should follow. In order for that to happen, in order to instill a certain fear, he says, right? He says, that anybody who saw this tower would instill within them a fear, an awe. When it's seen from very far away. They wanted to build this tall tower so all the surrounding areas, as tall as it would be, the taller, the further you're able to see. That when they see it, that represented this is how we should live. This is who is ruling us. This is how we should think. This is how we should act. This is the approach in life that we should take. When we see that tower, that is representative of how we all should be. How we all should be. He says, The men at this point, at this time, they didn't sin with any action. They didn't sin with any thought. Meaning reality, there wasn't really a sin that was going on over here. But God was seeing from far away. Obviously, it doesn't mean that God had this crazy uh, telescope. Obviously, God could look at something from far and it's really close. What does it mean? God wanted to go ahead and see What was going on over here? How were they acting? Was it acting as individuals? Or do they all have to conform to one specific mentality? One specific thought process? One way of looking at the world? They chose the valley. Because again, that would be a place that would be a place that they would be able to extend their rule as much as possible. This one person, Nimrod. But not just Nimrod, but everybody else. How did God stop it? He didn't punish them by killing them. But God made it now that they didn't understand each other's language. And if they didn't understand each other's language, they couldn't communicate properly as such. So says the Ron as follows. Says the Ron that once you have that separation, once you have it now that not every single person is doing the exact same thing, God saw. God thwarted their thought process, changed around their language. Why? 
because now they're going to end up going their separate ways. This person is going to establish their area because I only have one language. I can't speak to anybody else. And this person is going to go to their country and they're going to establish their rules, their thought process, their everything like that. And this person is going to go there and that person is going to go there. They're going to be completely dispersed. They're going to go their separate ways. And that will end up curing what the problem was with what they were doing. The Ron is telling us, and we'll add over here the Nitziv. The Nitziv says as follows, and this is what the Ron is really referring to. And the way the Nitziv described that he lived 1816 to 1893, there are many civilizations that came before him and especially right afterwards that adopted this approach. That adopted this approach. He says as follows. They clearly didn't think that there should be one city for the, for the entire world. That's impossible. You're not going to have one city for the entire world. All the surrounding cities, all the neighborhoods are subordinate to the main one. This tower represented the main one. The thought process the mentality, how we should act, and everyone else looks at that, as the Ron says, and a fear comes about. We are all subordinate. That's who we follow. That's why they wanted to build it so high so everybody can see that. Vinasa Lanu Shane, we should make for ourselves a name, says in its Anashem Mashkichim Umemunim Aladavar. How are we going to make for ourselves a name? How are we going to instill this worshiping idols, this anti-God civilization? How are we going to get it that everybody follows, that nobody else can think on their own? We're going to appoint people, says it and say, we're going to appoint people on this matter. over. Military personnel that will punish anybody who contradicts, anybody who violates, who goes against. Because without this, the tower is not going to help. Because if you have a tower, and I see the tower, but I also have my own brain, and you're trying to state these certain values, and this is how we should think, and this is how we should act, but it's not really sitting well with me. It's not making sense to me. I have a different take. I have a different feeling. And I go ahead and I start to do my own thing or I'm going to be the anti-establishment. Then seeing the tower is not going to help. But when I appoint people to punish those, to instill a certain fear that if you go against, this is what's going to happen, then everybody will begin to fall in line. And that's why Avraham was thrown into the fiery furnace. Because he went against Nimrod, the leader of this civilization, the leader of this generation. He went against. What do you do with the threat? What do you do with the opposing party? You kill them. So then there's no more threat. Everybody else falls into line. And if you start to think anything else, 
There are people there to get you into shame, to punish those who go against that. That's what they exactly were thinking. And he says as follows. He said we should understand what their concern was that if there was another land, if there was another city, if there was another civilization. He says, When people's thinking is not equal, it's not the same, then what happens? They were concerned. That a person shouldn't think out the box. That a person should not think not like us. And that's why they appointed that nobody else should leave this area and go establish a different city. Nobody else should begin to think otherwise, which is why he says Avram was thrown in. God understood. God came down to see exactly how they were because God understood the very fabric of a civilization. God understood what is needed for a productive society. Socialism is exactly this. Way back when, not so long ago in Russia, Jewish people stopped getting circumcisions. They stopped doing this. You had to follow the specific way of thinking. You had to act exactly like the government told you to act. And if not, you'd be sent to Siberia. You'd be punished here. You'd be killed. Opposition would be knocked out. That's not unity. That's not unity. The Torah is telling us that God came down and made it as such where they're forced to go their separate ways. The cure to this was not to wipe them out. The cure to this was to be able to have the different cities, to be have the different thought process, to have the different civilizations. Because true unity is not conformity. True unity is appreciating the differences, accepting each other. That's what true unity is. Not that everybody should think exactly the same, should act exactly the same, should be the same. That's not unity. Unity is, I'm different, you're different, you're different, we're all different. We think differently, we may even act a little differently. You have this style, I have that style. You like hard rock, you like the symphony. We all have different preferences, different things like that, where true unity is accepting each other as one unit, even though we may be a little different. And that was the cure that God wanted. What was their sin? As the Ram says, we can't really pinpoint to the sin. What in the world did they do wrong? If anything, it should be the opposite. They were unified in one mission, but God had to come down to intervene because that would be a very, that would destroy the essence, the very fabric of society. 
if everybody begins to act the same, to think the same, and if not, we're going to get rid of you, we're going to punish you until you think like us. Socialism is not the answer. That is not the way to run a productive society, a productive community. But rather, as God did, he separated all them, forced them to go their separate ways so they each have their own. So it's not just one where we all have to now fit in line. That is why God came down. That is what happened. If we read this description, there have been so many times that we just described the Soviet Union and many other civilizations where if you don't agree with me, then we will cancel you. Then we will make it uncomfortable to the point that you have to agree with me. That's not unity. That is not a productive society. That is not the Torah's perspective. That is not what God wants. Let's give some examples. Obviously, there's the global examples or the national examples or the international examples where we could analyze countries as we've mentioned. But let's go a little bit more personal. Within a community itself. So every Friday night here, we dance around the bima. We have Kabbalah Shabbos. It's beautiful. I, I invite everybody to come attend. That's everyone here on Facebook, on Zoom, who listen to the podcast. Come and attend. It's beautiful. There's singing. There's dancing. It's a lively experience. But there may be some people in the shul where dancing, where that is, it's just not their thing. It's not their thing. That's not something that they particularly enjoy. So there's two ways to go about it. You could invite them in because maybe they felt like, you know what, is, is this for me? I'm a little embarrassed. Should I go? Should I not go into the circle? I don't really know how to dance, but I really want to dance. So there's inviting them in, at least welcoming them to say, hey, come join us in the circle. That's one way of doing it. But then there may be, you don't like dancing? How could you not dance on Friday night in Shul? I don't get it. This is what we do. The Torah tells us that's not unity. That's not called a proper community. Because a proper community is recognizing, understanding that each and every person is different. And we appreciate those differences. So yeah, there's a lot of people that like to dance around the bima, some people may not. And that's okay. There may be people who love to sing, but for others, singing may not be their thing, whether it's because it's they don't have a good voice or they're just not their thing. No, 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 you have to sing. You have to like this. What do you mean, I have to like this? That's not called a community. Because true unity is without conformity, as the title of this class is. 
True unity is that each and every one of us are different. And the Torah says, God says, that's what I want. I want you to be able to appreciate everybody, even though there are differences. You ever notice that a lot of the times the people who we like are like-minded to us? A lot of the times the same way of thinking, the same type of style, music, whatever it is, a lot of times they're very similar. The people who are very different to us, we tend to either, we're not friends, maybe we, I'm not saying we don't like them, but it's not our choice a lot of that really is we love ourselves. We love ourselves. So I like me. So I find people who are like me. But true unity, true love is finding people who are not like me, looking at you and saying, we are very different. But that's what makes this a great community. I'll give another example. One that I've been thinking about a lot. We're trying to recruit families from out of Kentucky to move into the community. It's such a great place to live, to make this even more of a growing, vibrant city. Put it even more on the map as a Torah city. So it happens to be that the rabbis that are here, we all studied in the same yeshiva, the Chavetz Chaim. And if someone would describe this community as a Chavetz Chaim community, then I failed. Then I failed as the Rav of the community. What do I mean by that? Why have I failed? Yes, that is my yeshiva, that's the mesorah, that's the tradition, that's the link that I have connected to in the chain of teachers going all the way back to Moshe. And those hashkafas, those outlooks on life, yes, that is what I'm going to try and give over. But to say that that is the community is not only false, but it is anti-community. Because a community is just not for one specific type of people that, the only people that could be in this community is, we all went to the same yeshiva, we think the same, we dress the same, all of that. That is not what a community is. A community is everybody. You went to this yeshiva, you didn't go to yeshiva. You went to college, you didn't go to college. You have this job, you have that job. And we come together Different perspectives, different outlooks. Obviously, with the Torah as our anchor, as our guidebook, but different ways of approaching things, and that blend is what a true community is. God is showing us, not just as a civilization, that when you instill this fear, when you cancel other people that don't think like you, which is exactly what they wanted to do then, that is incorrect. That is going to destroy a civilization. It's never going to be. Because people are people, and we all think differently. And you can't go ahead and destroy 
everybody and make us all exactly the same. That's not unity. So as a civilization, that needs to be. Because when there's disagreements, when there's different ways of thinking, that's how we are productive. That's how we are productive. Politics today, and I hate getting into politics, politics today, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? And if you're not one or the other on both sides, if you're not one or the other, then, ah. Oh, What happened to a society where we could appreciate each other's way of thinking? You think differently, I think differently. And guess what? Because of that, that's how we're going to have a beautiful society. Because there's pros and cons to every single aspect. There's different ways. There's no canceling. That's in the global sense as a civilization. And then when we focus on our community or any other community, but focus on ours in Louisville here. Unity without conformity, meaning we are not a Chavetz Chaim community. That happens to be where our Rav learned in Yeshiva. That happens to be the certain hashkafas of outlooks of life that are going to be given over. That's the Masorah. That's what we connect to in terms of the tradition, the link in the glorious chain that we have. But to say that that's who we are, that's not a community. A community is many different ways of looking at things. Many different people. And accepting, welcoming them as such. Not assuming that everybody has to act the same exact way. And this is what we do, and you have to do that. I remember once, and we all tend to do this, I remember once where we had a guest that came here, and we were doing a, a, a certain thing in the shul, and they said, well, why are you doing that tune? This is a tune. And I remember afterwards speaking to the person. It wasn't a random guess. I knew the person. And I said, I appreciate the fact that where you come from, this, this is the tune. And this is what you feel is a tune. But to say that this is the only tune and every single community, every single shul has to do it this way is not what Yiddishkeit, is not what Judaism is about. Judaism is a blend there's Hasidim, there's Chabad, there's Litvish, there's Yeshivish, there's this, there's that. And that's what makes us the amazing Jewish people that we are. To appreciate the definition of a community. When we go and recruit families, to not say, this is the community that we are. That means that if you're not like this, then no, 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 we don't want you. Or we'll change you. To have dancing in the shul, great, but if somebody doesn't want to, not to say, how can you not like dancing? What is this? You better get in the circle. This person doesn't like dancing. Okay. That doesn't change who we are as a community. In fact, that makes us the greatest definition of a community. 
God saw that antidote. That was the punishment. Not killing them, dispersing. So they could understand, so they could appreciate it's not just one and everybody has to fit in. But there's many civilizations. There's many ways of thinking. We have the Torah as our anchor. It has to line up with that. But there are different ways to appreciate, different ways to come together. All of this is contained within these nine verses of the Torah. Describing the Dor HaFlaga, this generation, way back over 3,000 years ago, that, as the famous quote says, those who don't look at history, and again, I might I misquote it exactly, but those who don't look at history, read about history, are destined to repeat it again. And how many civilizations have tried to adapt this exact approach that Nimrod had? I'm the leader. This is what everyone should do, how everyone should think, how everyone should dress, how everyone should act. And I'm going to set up the people there to make sure that that happens and instill a fear. And if you go against it, we'll kill you like I tried to do to Avram. Civilization after civilization. But the power that they once were are no longer. Because people are people and we have our own brains. And there are going to be those who will rise up against because this is not the only way to think. This is not the only way to act. That's as a civilization. And to appreciate true unity is all of us coming together with our differences. To find somebody else who's not like us and become friendly with them. To look at that difference and really appreciate it because when we only go with those who are like us, it's because we really just love ourselves and we like us. So we want to be with others that are like us. Unity without conformity. That is the answer. That is a perspective. That is what we should take from this episode of the Dor Haflaga. Thank you everybody for joining us.